Cause I'm coming for them belts, boy. You're gonna see the raft of the new champ. Different energy, different spirit. Coming to win. I tried to learn boxing, stick and move. Isolating the sweet science of the sport, doctrinating my style. But we're going back to the raw, rugged streets. That's where I belong. I never followed no athletes growing up, no movie stars. I followed the Hustlers, the Rayful Edmonds, the Jeff Ports, the Nicky Barnes, the Big Meaches, the Larry Hoovers. You understand me? They're the people that gave me inspiration, the ones that came up from the streets to the top of the world, the Empire, the Bangers, the Hustlers. That's what's fueling me again. Sometimes in life, no matter how far you go, always remember where you came from. And we're back. Welcome back, everybody. You know what this is. You know what time it is. Welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where Sonny Edwards isn't bad in front of a camera. And I know people would be surprised that I'd be singing Sonny Edwards' praises, but that was the only IFL interview I saw that I found interesting over the weekend. And I thought there was something there. And if this is what Coogan's trying to do, I don't know if it works as a long-term solution, but in the midterm, it's a nice diversion to, to let other people ask the questions, to let other people, you know, kind of take half the spotlight. Because I think we've kind of heard Coogan ask questions ad nauseum, and I'm sure he can't muster up the excitement anymore. So it was good to see Sonny Edwards have the mic. I think Clifton Mitchell had it as well. And I quite like that new direction. So credit to Sonny, credit to Coogan for seeing it. And... You know, let's have a bit more of this until we get bored of it. But yeah, I'm going to go against the grain. And t- you know, I know a lot of people were unhappy with the DAZN show on Saturday, but I liked it for what it was and what it purported to be. It delivered. That was a next gen show in the truest form, right? You had a British title fight with one of Matchroom's shining lights, and then you had the supporting cast of local stars and, you know, local ticket sellers. I thought, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. That's exactly what we've needed. Now, can you do that in other cities? Could you do that in Newcastle? Could you do that in Leeds? I'd like to think so. And it kind of takes it back to the old days when when Eddie was trying to take over cities. And I think over the years, he's kind of lost enthusiasm for that. And he's sort of focused on the Canelos and the Joshuas and the Connor Benz at the expense of these guys like Dawson Smith. That would have done his development, the world of good, anchoring the show, knowing that all eyes were on Dawson Smith. And I like that because that's what Golden Boy do. Golden Boy will kind of let you dominate in your home market and then they'll bring you onto TV and they'll do this and they'll do that. And, you know, it shows Eddie's learning from Oscar. As much as people may criticize Oscar when it comes to fighter development, Golden Boy have known what they're doing for a long time and you've got to give them credit for that. So with everything considered, right, where are we with Dalton Smith? And you've got to judge him differently. 
So I can't judge Dalton Smith like I'm going to judge Conor Ben, for example. Here's why. Dalton Smith's been boxing for as long as he's probably been aware that there's a sport called boxing, right? You know, his old man's had Steel City since the early 2000s. So I want to say 2001, 2002. So Dalton's been around this long enough. There's no question about that. He's, he's had all the right inputs. And so we've got to look at him as someone who should be moved along quickly. You've got to take risks with Dalton Smith. Because if you don't believe in his talent now, you're never going to believe in it. He's 25 years old, so I think it's a good age where we should be talking about him fighting for a world title by the end of next year. There's no point in trying to get the Lonsdale belt. There's no one there of his level. You've got to, you've got to test him. Now, how do you test him? That's an interesting question because Sam Amazin was not the test that we thought he would be. And uh, where do you even put Sam Amazin? Is he British level? No. Is he English level by the skin of his teeth? Right? He's English level by the skin of his teeth, but he'd be a solid area level guy. And so that's not to, to dismiss what Dalton did on Saturday because really... The fight that we wanted was Akeem Ennis Brown. That would have been a good fight. Would have been a fair fight, actually. And would have been a good indicator of where he is. Now, do you put him in with a guy like Ritson? Why not? I'd like to see that fight. If that could be done, Dalton Smith against Lewis Ritson. Because that would tell us with absolute certainty that he's well beyond British level. But I think you move him on quickly. Um, intelligently but quickly because there's money to be made with that guy even just with domestic dust-ups um, and you have to you have to go back to that cyclone playbook like they did with Josh Taylor they gambled that Josh was the real deal and they put him in harm's way as early as they could and you saw what happened with Josh Taylor he's kind of fallen off a bit and maybe he's had his best days with, with Cyclone. Time will tell. But here's what I can say with absolute certainty. The kid can fight. And what I really liked about that performance on Saturday was he took his time. And time is almost a... How can you put it? I remember when I was a kid, I'd watch Gianfranco Zola play football. And Zola always seemed to have time that nobody else had. And you knew that if someone gave you the ball in the positions that Zola took it, you wouldn't have the time that he seemed to have. And it's the same with Dalton Smith. Now, Sam Amazin, as limited as he was, and you know we thought Orion Rose Freiter would bring more pizzazz, as limited as Amazin was, he was still there and he was still trying to do something. But Dalton Smith made it look like a sparring session. That's rare and that's hard. That takes a lot to make something look like a sparring session where you almost take nothing of substance in return and you're able to do what you want when you want. And I thought he could have taken him out in three rounds comfortably. I'd heard a lot of chatter about people betting on the sixth round and I'd heard this well before the fight. So this was like Friday evening, Saturday morning. People were betting on a sixth round stoppage. So whether he carried him, I don't know. And he decided to just turn it up in the sixth round. Not for me to discuss, but that's what was being spoken about in boxing circles. But the kid has it. 
He just needs to be tested. And then at some point, you've got to say, right, the world titles are about to scatter. Just go and get yourself a belt. And do, you, do I think he could sustain that? Well, if he can't do it now, when can he do it? Because you've got to remember, he's in the same age bracket as these guys like Shakur Stevenson, uh, Virgil Ortiz. Ryan Garcia is a year younger. You know, Devin Haney's what, a year or two older? So he's in that ballpark. I mean, he's in that ballpark where these guys are way up wherever they are. And he's entering that world because that's where these guys like Devin Haney are all headed to. Everyone's headed to 140. Teofimo Lopez, has he been in the ring as long as Dalton Smith? Probably not. So if you're Dalton Smith, you're like, I should be as good as these guys. You know, I've had all the right inputs. So why not test him? And we all need to get over this idea that a defeat is fatal. It isn't. He could go and test himself against the best. If he comes up short, then at least we go, oh, he ain't that far away. He could have another go and do it. But I'd like to see that with Dalton Smith. I'm very high on him. I think he's good. I think he's really good, actually. Um, I think he's in the right gym, uh, stylistically and in terms of sort of, you know, training intensity i think he's in the right place just push him on and maybe i'm maybe i'm in the minority of one who says that but i'd like to see him pushed on i'd like to see more british guys challenged and tested far earlier in their careers we we wait too long to test people and my theory on that is guys just get stale once you've been boxing at a certain level for so long you just get stale you know when you're not moving forwards what do they say you're moving backwards now the chief support was um, the Sandy Ryan rematch with, I want to say Farius, and I can't remember the surname for the life of me, so I'm having a shocker today. But if you remember back to the first fight, um, I don't think Sandy was necessarily you know, dominated, but he did lose. And I remember talking to Clifton Mitchell afterwards, and when he broke down you know, what had happened, and like, his view was always, if Sandy gets it right, he batters her. It's an easy win for Sandy. Sandy's levels above it. Clifton said this like right after the the defeat. And so credit where credit is due, like he backed his words and Sandy had an easy night of it, a really easy night of it. And I think that's where we saw some of the things that Sandy Ryan can offer at that kind of fringe world level, moving on to world level, because it's hard, right? And when I talk to boxing coaches and I'm trying to explain to them what coaching women is like, and I say, you'll get to the same destination as you do with the men. It's a completely different journey, though, because, you know, generally men, we, we hide our feelings. These aren't good traits, by the way, but we hide our feelings. We kind of get on with stuff. We don't feel stuff. We kind of block it out. We do all those sorts of things, which mean that we just show up in the gym and do our thing. Sometimes... Ladies, women will just take things harder because they care more. And that thing that makes them care more makes them unbelievably good at skill acquisition, which is why, you know, you watch a woman's boxing find the skill level is really high. But that caring can also have other consequences outside of a boxing context, and it can affect you. And so my understanding was in the first fight, Sandy Ryan had far more weight to shift than is normally healthy. And I think that was reflected in the performance. Now, where it went wrong was, you know, there was a whole balaclava thing and, you know, there was, there was a lot of noise being made before the fight. And fans generally get turned off if you make that noise and you don't win. 
And I think she paid the price. And it's a lesson. You know, sometimes, you know, a defeat can happen at the right time. And so I, I explain it in this context. In this context. Outside of boxing, when I'm talking to people, like, you know, when I have to give people, the, you know, advice on how to grow and develop their careers, I always talk about this notion of never forget to pick up the pennies. Now, it works like this. If I took everything from you today, you didn't have a penny in your bank account and there wasn't anything coming in, no, no salary, no nothing. And you had to find ways to survive on a daily basis. If you saw a penny, you saw a 5p coin, you saw a 10p coin, you'd always pick it up. You'd pick it up and you'd put it in your little bag and you'd keep hunting them down until you found all of those pennies in whatever area it is you lived. And then you'd go, right, do I have enough here for a chocolate bar? Do I have enough here for a coffee? I put 200 grand in your bank account. I put 200 quid in your pocket. You're not going to pick up those pennies. And that's what happens a lot in boxing. People forget to pick up the pennies. They think oh, I'm at a certain level. I don't have to pick up these pennies anymore. The pennies I used to pick up when I was hungry and I had a point to prove and I was driven to succeed. I picked up every one of those pennies. The great boxers never stop picking up the pennies. The great boxers know they're not too good to do five rounds just jabbing the bag. The great boxers know they're not too good to jump in with a no-bouter who might just pose a problem you haven't seen in a long time. The guys who really make it, the men and women who really make it, never stop picking up the pennies. Everything matters when it comes to their career. And I think Sandy got to a point where she wasn't picking up the pennies and she got found out. She got found out by a tough Argentinian woman. She got found out. Now it's up to her to make sure she keeps picking up those pennies for the rest of her career. And she's not the only one in boxing who stopped picking up the pennies. I look at people who I've seen come up and seen them acquire success in various ways and they change. Their energy changes. Those pennies they were happy to pick up, they no longer pick up. But you leave them to it because they're going to get soft matches for a while and then they're going to lose. Then my phone will ring again. And I'll say the same thing I'm saying to you guys. They didn't pick up the pennies. And this is true in anything you do in life. Whether it's your relationship, whether it's your job, whatever it is, I promise you, if you pick up the pennies, you'll be far more successful. You'll be far happier for it. Those little things, like just not taking anything for granted, not believing that because you've got to a certain level or a certain tenure, you're too good to do things. And I think this performance is hopefully Sandy turning the corner and picking up those pennies. I was happy as hell for her. I was happy for Clifton because he's known her for so long that it hurt him that she lost. It really hurt him. Because he's always said she's special. Always. So she'll go down as one of the all-time greats. And he's invested so much. And it's always good to have that kind of... And I don't want to say father-daughter bond. Because it's not a father-daughter bond. A lot of times people talk about... 
the coach having this parental bond over someone. And like, if you don't have the person in your house, it's not true. Customato, maybe. But do you know what it is? It's, it's like having a wise old head, a wise uncle available to you, a wise auntie available to you to give you guidance and point out where you're going wrong. And I think that's what Clifton Mitchell's done really well with Sandy. And I'm almost surprised that a few of the other guys from Derby or the surrounding areas haven't hit up Clifton Mitchell for that sort of guidance. When your trainer has unwavering faith in your, your capacity to be great, that's a big fraction of the battle won. When they're banging the drum saying that you're going to be special, that's half the battle because you know that you've got to validate that. now. I think too often coaches play down what someone can achieve and then what ends up happening is they achieve to those expectations. But if you tell someone you're going to be one of the greatest in your weight class of all time, that's what they'll work to. As long as you've got the capacity to deliver that, that work, the inputs they need, you can, you can push someone really far with that mindset. Right, I'm going to try to just sort of rack my brain and remember who else boxed on that car. So I know Johnny Fisher boxed and good stoppage, you know, considering he's still a relative novice, you know, it's always good to have a straight right stoppage. It shows that you're working on your fundamentals. Honestly, I just wish he'd stop with the gimmicks. I wish he'd stop with the stupid Chinese. I wish he'd stop with the Bosch. I wish he'd stop with all of these gimmicks. In fact, I wish all these matchroom guys would stop. The five guys, the, the forced conversations after a fight, all of this stuff, I don't like. It feels very WWE, but boxing's meant to be real. So if you guys were so friendly beforehand, what was all that tension before? I mean, like, what was that? I have no idea, but having listened to that Shane McGuigan interview with Tris Dixon, you realize a lot of this stuff is just concocted in a back room somewhere. And then us, the, the boxing fans, are just treated like mugs. But I don't want to see that. Johnny Fisher is meant to be a heavyweight who's going to do a lot of damage to a lot of people. I do not want to see him sharing a Chinese with someone he's dropped. It's stupid. It's bad marketing. It's nonsense. Because he may go somewhere. But you're not going to intimidate anybody if they're like, well, if I get put down, the guy's going to feed me Chinese. <laughs> well, if he's going to feed me Chinese, how much heart has he really got for a fight? You're giving someone a lift because they're like, this guy's just clowning. He's not serious. So they're not going to be on the back foot. They're going to be on the front foot. Maybe that's what he wants. I don't know. But I don't enjoy that. It's, it's silly. This whole thing of... Yeah, Big Johnny, Romford this. Oh, stop, man. Please, stop. No. Too much of this stuff happens. You know, before someone's turned pro, there's a logo, there are T-shirts, there's all this sort of stuff. And I don't mind it in principle. But remember, Jordan had his logo on T-shirts because Nike made them. Nike designed the Jumpman logo. You designed, you and your mate designed your logo and you're paying to get your t-shirts made in the hope that you can sell them for 20 quid a pop. But what have you won? You know, people want the stuff too soon. Get the wins, get a few belts, even if they're sort of trinket belts, get a few belts, get some momentum. Then put the t-shirt out, then have the marketing plan. Because a lot of people are there having to explain <laughs> poor defeats in their own branded apparel. 
and you're like, mate, it's not a good look. So that, that, that's my advice to young boxers. Forget all of this stuff. I know people talk about you need to be active on social media, you need to be this, you need to be that. <sighs> no, you don't. If all you're going to do is post videos of you sparring, we don't need t-shirts, we don't need anything, really. Like, and I keep saying this, go and look at Mike McGoldrick's Instagram, Goldie underscore MM. Go and look at that if you want to understand how to be interesting as a boxer. It's called having a hobby that doesn't involve boxing. Now, you'll be surprised at how far that gets you. It was good to see Kieran Conway do his thing and get busy. Um, this is obviously just a tick over fight until he fights on the Canelo Triple G undercard against Amo Williams. Now, credit to Eddie because... <laughs> I mean, he's definitely throwing ammo in the firing line, and I don't know if that's meant to be like a, like a revenge mission on his part, because remember, like ammo did kind of embarrass him a bit. So I don't know if that's the case. But I don't know. Kieran Conway to beat ammo? I think ammo's got a reputation that belies the fact that he took up boxing relatively late, and Kieran Conway didn't. So... I'd like to see Kieran Conway put beating on him. He may not win, but we need to find out if this Emma Williams kid is a real deal. I think Eddie needs to find out because he's not sure. And then if he does that, then, hey, Emma Williams versus Anthony Fowler at 160. I'd love that fight. You know, if Fowler can't get Denzel Bentley, please, please, please give him Emma Williams. Let's just start having these guys in competitive fights, hard fights, fights that help your legacy, not hurt your legacy, fights that make you marketable. Because think about this, right? You saw Zach Chelly versus Jermaine Brown. And now people are like, I want to see both these guys again. Isaac Chamberlain versus Chris Bidham Smith. I want to see both these guys again. I'm interested in both of these guys. I'm not interested in Sam Amazon. Like, he's, he's done. But I am interested in Dalton Smith. And I'm like, what would Dalton Smith do against O'Hara Davis? What would Dalton Smith do against Lewis Ritson? These are all questions that we're interested in. And then take it a step further. Who's going to get to the top first? Who's going to have the better career? Adam Azim, Dalton Smith. Two completely different skill profiles, but equally lauded in the trade. So who's going to do their thing? And this is what happens when you match people hard. We know that they've got something special. I don't see why promoters don't understand that. So one of the other interesting points was the Nico Levers fight. I think he fought like, is it Angel Garcia? Um, Spanish guy. Didn't look interested in fighting, but what happened was it was a clash of heads. Now, we know that if a fight stopped due to a, a clash of heads before the fourth round, it's normally a technical draw. I don't know if someone had gone back to the corner and let Nico know, hey, you might have to let this move on to the fourth round. And I think this is where kind of being streetwise is important. It's not easy in boxing, but sometimes you're like, hey, if this stops before the fourth round, <laughs> I'm going to get a technical draw on my record. Maybe I might need to carry him for two rounds, get to the fourth round and stop him. That's really what should have happened. And yes, Garcia made a meal of it. But boxers have to stop being reckless with their heads. Like, you... I was going to say you have a duty of care. You don't have a duty of care. But you have a duty of like self-preservation. Preserve your record. Keep the fight going. 
and I've seen a lot of boxers do this, they almost just rush in as if they've got a right to dominate a space. Because what happens in this country? People are so used to their opponent stepping back that they just jump into the space. But most other cultures don't step back. And so when they don't step back, that space you thought was going to be there isn't there. And then you get the head clash. And now he's got a technical draw on his record, which he didn't need at this point in his career. Now, I'm not going to say it's his fault. That's why I call it a boxing accident. But it's a warning. Look, mate, don't rush in when you don't need to. He didn't need to. He was comfortably in control of that fight. And he could have dominated from anywhere he wanted. But he paid a heavy price. Jordan Thompson nearly paid a heavy price. Now, I like Jordan Thompson. He, he's one of those guys who looks like he should be good. Almost like Nick Webb. You look at Nick Webb, you're like, I really want you to be world level because you look like you should be. And Jordan Thompson's one of those guys who looks like he should be. But he's raw. You know, he's raw. I know he spent time with Don Charles. Um, don't know if Don's still training him. If he's not, then he should have kept training him. But Jordan's got a lot to learn, man. Like, don't do rounds you don't need to do. You're big, you're powerful. Get him out of there. Because that's what the fans expect to see from you. You I mean, you should be stopping people. Instead, he got dropped. And I'm not going to say he nearly got stopped. I don't believe that's true. But that's a reminder to pick up the pennies. You see? You've got to pick up the pennies. It's that discipline. That discipline is everything you need. Don't let the fight go on longer than it needs to. Just because you're comfortable. You know, when you're comfortable, you should challenge yourself to do more. What more can I do? If your corner aren't telling you, ask them, guys, what more can I do? I feel comfortable in there. How can I turn it up on him? Those are the conversations you've got to have with your corner. Or your corner should be telling you, mate, you're comfortable in there. You're doing rounds you don't need to do. Try and put him down if you can. So what do you say about Campbell Hatton in the vein of sort of Nico Levers, Jordan Thompson, and everyone else who boxed that night? What do you say about Campbell Hatton? Because I'm almost like, what do I have to expect from him? Is he area level? Doesn't feel that way. Is he... If you put him in an amateur bout now, would he be comfortable that he could win that? I don't think so. So I'm almost like, well, why have you got him on TV? They could have given Campbell Hatton to Dennis Hobson, had him on fight zone fighting in the ice, the ice palace, whatever it is in Sheffield, the ice arena, or fighting in Victoria Warehouse in Manchester. That's what he should be doing now. And he should compile, compile a ridiculous record of like 25 and 0. We shouldn't see any of those fights. And then one day he appears and he's just taking heads off. Because then he's not just trading off his old man's name. Right now it feels a bit like that. Which is unfair on him. And I still think we can't judge this guy till the beginning of 2024. Wherever he is in 2024, then we can say, ah, this experiment hasn't worked. Because we've been on the Conor Ben train for, what, six years now? Minimum. And we're no closer to a world title than we were two years ago. You're not going to put Conor Ben in with Virgil Ortiz. You're not going to put him in with Avanessian. So who are you going to put him in with? Really? Chris Eubank Jr.? Really? But this is the guy you said could be a world champion at welterweight. Now you want to put him in with Eubank Jr. at 156. Now get the commercial appeal of the fight, but that's your legacy gone. You're not going to go back down to 147 and feel the same way. Your body will be completely different. Then what? Then what do you do? I think Campbell Hatton's in that same position. What do you do with Campbell Hatton? Like, 
For everything you should be doing with Dalton Smith, you've got to do the opposite with Campbell Hatton. Just not rush him. Not rush him and actually, being honest, don't let his old man train him. Don't let his old man offer advice or anything like that. Because Campbell Hatton will not be another Ricky Hatton. And if he tries to do that, he might get treated the same way Hatton did against Manny Pacquiao. And I don't want to see that, to be honest with you, because history should never repeat when it comes to a father and a son. So if you ask me, what's one thing I'd like to see Campbell Hatton do in his next fight that he didn't do in this one? He needs to stop being journeyman happy. And so what happens sometimes is you know you're in with someone who's there to lose. And you just hit him with everything. And normally, if you throw enough shots, eventually you'll put him down, right? That's, that's the sort of basic thinking. But here's the thing. Campbell Hatton needs to use those opportunities to make sure he's precise in his attacks. So there's structure and there's precision because they're giving you learning fights. So if you're not learning how to actually take people apart, what's going to happen when you move up a level? You're not going to be able to bomb people out at that level, man. That's absolute insanity. And that's the conversation I hope is happening behind the scenes. They're saying to Campbell, look, don't get journeyman happy. Stay precise, stay accurate. Know where you want to break him down and make sure your fists land on those targets. But broadly speaking, to be honest with you, happy with the card. And I know I've missed some names of that other people have an interest in, but you've got to understand that it's hard for me to watch guys unless I really have to watch them. A lot of that card was kind of you know, local filler. But let's just talk about some things that are really interesting. Now, number one, Terry Harper looks like she's definitely moving up in weight. You know, that, that whole thing about sparring Sandy Ryan is the closest indicator that she's going to move up in weight and they're talking about her fighting Hannah Rankin. Ah, why? Now, I get it if you're Hannah Rankin. Like, Hannah Rankin's like, I will out-muscle Terry Harper, right? Whatever Terry Harper has over me in terms of skill... I will outmuscle her. And, you know, Hannah Rankin is a farm girl. I've met Hannah in person. She looks like she's strong. Never mind all the extra training she's done in the intervening years. But why move Terry Harper up? Like, <laughs> women's box is not making sense right now. Like, a lot of the, the bullshit that was in the men's game is creeping into the women's game. And I'll give you a prime example of this. They interviewed Sky Nicholson. It might have been Sonny Edwards, actually. Interviewed Sky Nicholson and said, who do you really want to fight? And Sky said, Karis Artingstall. And then she said, yeah, but we shouldn't fight until there's a belt on the line. And I'm like, we don't care that much. We honestly do not care that much. Not because we don't respect you. But a year ago, you were fighting each other in the Olympics. I don't want to hear this. This fight can't happen until the world title's on the line. You can fight each other now. You fought a year ago. Just get at it. Jesus, just fight. Give the fans what they want. And then if it's close, which a lot of these fights tend to be, rematch for a world title. But don't have us watching you fight people you're better than. And then go, yeah, Ooh, ooh, this Karis Artingstall fight will come, this Ellie Scottney fight will come, this Nina Hughes fight will come. No, make these fights now. They're not expensive to make, for God's sake. Make the damn fights now. We should all, as boxing fans, say we don't care how many losses a, a woman has on her record as long as she's taking on everyone. 
How can it be that Beck Connolly is the only one taking everyone on? How can that be that Beck Connolly is the one who's like, I will fight anybody anytime? Don't allow the bullshit that's in the men's game to creep into the women's game. Like, it doesn't need that at a time when it's just trying to grow and establish itself. It doesn't need that. You know, Sky should be talking about fighting Karis now. I want that revenge for the Olympics. I'll fight her now. And if I can't fight her, I'll fight Ellie Scott. We're in the same stable. Why can't that be made to happen? Why can't I fight Nina Hughes? That's the conversation I want to hear. This whole thing of it's a business. No, it's not a business. You're not making that kind of money. Where's the fight with Ebony Bridges? No one's talking about her anymore. But get her in the mix. You're both Australian. You said you're fighting in October in Australia. Fight Ebony Bridges. That's what we need. And I'm not saying that because I don't like Sky. I quite like her. You know, Eddie talks really highly of her. Eddie Lambs talks really highly of her. She's conducted herself with, like, grace and aplomb since she's been in the UK. So credit where credit's due. But don't dangle these things as if I've got to wait four years like I did for Joshua versus Fury. I'm not waiting that long. Fans don't have that patience anymore. So I'd like to see that sorted. You know, and just to carry on the sort of backstage shenanigans, what was David Adelaide doing there? And he's there going, I want the winner of Nathan Gorman versus um, Fabio Wardley. Wow. Wow. And I'm going to stay positive on David Adelaide because I think there's something there. It's just not apparent yet what that is, but there's definitely something there. Because if nothing else, he's a guy that you see running in Labrador Grove at stupid o'clock. So he's dedicated enough. It's just about, is he getting the right inputs in the right way? I don't know. What we're seeing in the ring, not great. Some of the sparring videos I've seen, not great. Honestly, not great. But you've got to persist with him now because you've committed to him. And I, I wish him all the best. I don't want to see him against... I don't want to see him against the winner of Nathan Gorman versus Fabio Wardley because I don't think he's at that level yet. If he is looking for a test, throw him in with Nick Campbell. Let's, let's see what he can do against Nick Campbell. Because I can't think who else. You, you wouldn't want to dig up Domac and Lardy and put him in with it because I think Dom's, Dom's too tricky. You know? if it, he doesn't want guys in there that will make him miss. You know, would you put him in with a Dave Allen? I don't know. Solomon Dakers? I would. Good fight. Why not? So let's see what David Adelaide does do, but you can't rush David Adelaide. Just based on what I've seen, he's not at that level where he could deliver a performance for 10 rounds. That's just my assessment, because you could put him in with Jamie Shakivo, sorry, TKV, and he'll come unstuck. Put him in with Fraser Clark, he'd come unstuck. There's a lot of work required on him. I wonder, you know, if he's got the, the full control of his career that he should because he's an intelligent guy. Really, really smart guy. And he needs to understand that quality inputs equal quality outputs, but only if the process is correct. But it's moving away from all of that. Um, Parker versus Joyce. I don't... Pay-per-view? Oh, my God. Oh my God. Parker Joyce's pay-per-view. 
I don't know where I sit on this fight. I don't know what my view is on this. I think I'm happy for Joe because this cements Joe as a world-level prospect. But I'm almost like, why does he have to go through Parker? You know, why? Why can't he go through someone else? But I guess no one else really fancies it. So credit to Parker for taking it. I thought his interview was interesting where he was just talking about how hard it is to deal with Frank Warren where he just wanted one fight and Frank wanted three. And you're like, well, Frank, come on. <laughs> stop. Please just stop. Let the kid fight. Like, one fight deal. If he wants to come back on BT Sport, offer him an attractive proposition. But I think once Joe Joyce has passed Joseph Parker, you've got to fight for a world title at that point. That's it. Just fight for a world title. Because we want to see what Joe can do at that top level. I, you know, I'd like to see him against a Dillian. I'd like to see him against an Usyk. I'd like to see him against a Joshua. But he's a, he's a savage night's work for anybody. You know, would you give him the Dubois rematch? That might be the only option if he beats Parker. Because everyone else will be so scared and no one will really fancy it and no one will have an incentive to take that fight. But what he has revealed, and this is what I'll give him credit for, is he's revealed how, how Eddie's been able to position himself. Because let's just look at what's happening in boxing right now. Dubois not getting paid. Frank offering a three-fight deal instead of a one-fight deal. Eddie's a straight shooter. He may not be the best payer in the game, but you get paid on time and he does what he says he's going to do. All the other things are, are taken care of. Your flights, your taxis, your hotel. How many people are you bringing? Okay, cool, we'll take care of that. All this stuff gets taken care of. Eddie Hearn traveling through the community, offering amateur boxing clubs support. Or he takes care of these little things, the pennies. He takes care of these little things. And they buy him credibility because it's the little things that you notice. And that's how he sets himself apart from everyone else. He gets deals done and you get what you negotiate. It doesn't change. He doesn't go backwards on it. And you get paid. Why can't boxing be that simple? And that's where you've got to give Ed his, his due. Well done, mate. You've made boxing simple in a world where most people understand that the money's to be made in the transparency, which we should probably start opposing. But... I don't know. That fight, I think it's just another stepping stone for Joe. And I know there's a counter-argument that says Joseph Parker's looked better under Andy Lee and he might you know, be working with Fury, sparring Fury and all this sort of stuff. Yes, well done, great. But it's still Joe Joyce in front of you. And for your whole career, you're flattered to deceive. We haven't seen the heavy-handed Joseph Parker going at people. We haven't seen that. So what's there to get excited about? Nothing for me, to be honest. But what I was excited by was the way Virgil Ortiz beat Michael McKinson. And I know people talk about the shots to the hip, but that's how old school guys did it. You know, I'm going to break you down. In this country, we talk about headshots and knockouts and this and that. We never talk about really breaking guys down. And that's what Virgil Ortiz does really, really well. Heavy shots to your arm, dead arm. Heavy shots to your forearm, ow, I can't hold this arm up now. Heavy punch to your breastbone, ah, breathing hurts. You know, heavy punch to the neck, oh, I'm really going to feel all of this tomorrow. And that's what he does, he just bludgeons you. And you get to a point where you're like, this is a lot to take. But 
What he did with Michael McKinson that I feel Chris Congo didn't is he set such a pace that Michael McKinson's like, I don't know if I can do this for the full duration. And you saw the work rate drop off in the second half of the fight. Chris Congo gave more the recovery time he needed. Virgil Ortiz didn't. And that's not to say Michael was poor. I thought Michael McKinson acquitted himself really well. You could put him in with a Conor Ben, a David Avanessian, and I think he'd be competitive. You know, had Josh stayed at 147, Josh Kelly, you could have put him in with Josh Kelly. He's not the most entertaining of fighters. He's not the easiest to hit. But he's good. And he's good enough to be in those sorts of conversations. Like a Lamont Peterson. You know a guy who wouldn't dominate a world level? But he'd get there. He'd fight for a world title shot. And he wouldn't be out of his depth. And that's what McKinson feels like. So hopefully Lee Eaton can get him something else. Um, I don't know what the politics is. I don't know who he's really managed by and all this sort of stuff. And I don't really want to delve too deeply into it. But I'd like to see McKinson against some benchmark guys we know like Echo Esterman, etc. Now let's rebuild him that way. Really, who else fought? Mike, Mick, oh God, Michael Conlon fought. Uh, fought Mariaga. God, I haven't heard that name in a while. But credit where credit's due, he won. And now we're talking about him fighting Lee Wood. You know, I don't think Lee Wood will get the Leo Santa Cruz fight because Santa Cruz doesn't need it. Like Lee Wood does nothing for his legacy. Does relatively little for his bank balance. So I can see the Conlon-Wood rematch happening. Conlon should have a better chance now because Lee Wood's, what, 34? And people forget that Lee Wood was an accomplished amateur himself, man. He used to box for England. Now, he might have boxed as a junior for England. I don't think it was for a, as a senior, but definitely as a junior. You know, in that sort of world of, like, your Scotty Cardles and your Jazza Dickens, Lee Wood was part of that. So there's pedigree there. You know, but Mick Conlon's a different level. But... Can he sustain his level for 12 rounds? That's the question. Will Lee Wood let him? I don't know. But yeah, just get the rematch done instead of waiting for Leo Santa Cruz, who won't accept the fight. Just get that done. Uh, I think that will do great numbers after the first fight. Just to wrap up on a couple of bits of news. So um, I don't know if you guys remember Daniel Yelusinov, um, gold medalist in what, 2016 Olympics. Um, yeah, supposedly the real deal as a welterweight and now can't get a fight and is talking about retiring if he can't get a, a reasonable offer in the near future. And you know that if if the three-letter company had been around, he'd have probably got a couple of gigs, but in his modern boxing age, he was never entertaining enough. Could probably win every fight on points easily, but he wasn't entertaining enough in the ring, wasn't entertaining enough out the ring. And this is a reminder to people, you can be very good and not go far. Like Lerone Richards, no one really clamors to see Lerone Richards fight. When's the last time you said, I'd quite like to see Lerone Richards fight? It's cruel. Boxing is cruel like that, but we like entertainers. So it'd be a shame if Yulusinov is unable to resume his career, but boxing's cruel when you don't deliver. Then the second one is, there's rumours of Tyson Fury versus Derek Chisora 3. They're just robbing you at this point. They're literally just putting their hand in your pocket, taking your wallet out, putting their hand in your purse, taking your money out, counting it in front of you and putting it in their back pocket. And you're smiling while they do this. 
There has to be a point where as boxing fans we just give the we just give Fury a blackout. Until Tyson Fury says he's fighting someone we care about, we shouldn't be retweeting or liking anything. But the problem you have is boxing fans just want to be involved. Oh my god, yeah, I just want to be involved so I can talk about it. And look at me, the fucking bell and I am. I'm talking about it. So I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm going to say, guys, I hope you enjoy this one as usual. If you like it, share, introduce another boxing fan to the movement. And let's keep building this because, like, as you're seeing in the media... Everyone's holding the party line. No one's really talking about what's really happening. Um, you know, shouts out to, to John Fury. I mean, the disciplinarian. He's letting people... <laughs> listen. He, he, he's on a revenge mission. Everyone that's disrespected him and talks smack about him. Apparently, John Fury's, you know, he's, he's meeting up with them just to, just to see if the energy is the same in person. So, shouts out to John Fury out there living his best life. Um... Um, shouts out to Rosie Eccles like I was heartbroken because as everyone knows I quite like Kay Scott as a boxer and her story's been fascinating but Rosie Eccles has been through a lot you know probably wasn't meant to be boxing you know I you know, I was told by people close to her that you know there were concussion issues prior to this hand issues all this sorts of stuff like every setback that could probably afflict someone has afflicted Rosie Eccles I think you saw in that final, she fought like that might be her only chance. So credit to her. What an absolute machine, like relentless. Just whatever it is that's in her, man. Like that's that inner strength expresses outer strength. Credit to her. I think Kay Scott's been a fantastic ambassador for for Australian boxing. You know, you don't do that many Commonwealth Games and Olympics and World Championships if you're not halfway decent. So credit to her, man. Don't think she ever missed a training session, no matter how she felt. Um, wasn't always easy. And you always have to admire someone who who gives the amateur game that much. So massive salute to her. Uh, in terms of Commonwealth Games, really liked Sam Hickey. Like the other Scottish lad at 81. Um, Komi out Ghana looked good. Um, pleasantly surprised by Mauritius and India. Who would have thought Mauritius and India would become boxing powerhouses in the Commonwealth? But, hey, everyone's cottoned on to what GB were doing and they're now spending money and it's paying results in India. So credit to, to those guys, man. Commonwealth Games were good. And do you know what? I guess we've got a few days off until Big Femi comes back. I might do a, um, a little episode on that midweek because I'm intrigued. There's a lot to, to unpick here, but I'm 100% backing Femi on this one. You know, normally I don't blindly back the Brit, but here, I think Femi winning is just good for boxing. I think it it raises the stakes for Joshua Fury or Joshua Wilder fight. And on that note, I'm going to say take care, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. As I said before, just enjoy. Let's keep the dialogue going, but let's keep it civilized and friendly. All the best, guys. Take care.